What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. As a librarian, I've read a lot of books. And one of the most exciting things for me is to get to know the story behind the story. This sometimes means reading about what inspired the author or reading beyond a book to learn more about a person or event in the book. But sometimes it means getting to know the real story that inspired one of my favorite classics. This is what happened to me recently when I read two books about the real bear that was the inspiration for one of the most iconic characters in children's literature, Winnie the Pooh. Did you know that a soldier in training during World War I named Harry Colburn bought a bear at a train station? As a veterinarian, Harry knew he could care for the baby bear, whom he named Winnipeg after his company's hometown. Winnie stayed with Harry throughout his training, but when he was shipped off to France, he found a good home for Winnie in the London Zoo. And who would encounter the bear there but Christopher Robin? Winnie's amazing story is told in two picture books. Winnie, the true story of the bear who inspired Winnie the Pooh by Sally Walker and illustrated by Jonathan Voss. And Finding Winnie, the true story of the world's most famous bear by Lindsay Maddock and illustrated by Sophie Blackall. Both books tell the story of Harry and Winnie in their own unique way, supported by their own distinctively beautiful pictures. So why not pick up both and learn the story behind the beloved Pooh Bear? And that's a little recommendation straight from Rachel's World. What kinds of books are best suited for first and second grade kids? Is fiction better or nonfiction? Graphic novels? Picture books? Any others? Rachel talks to first grade teacher and book reviewer Ed Spicer about how a child can benefit from all of these genres. As a teacher, Spicer spends most of his time with his own first grade students, but also loves building young high school authors through the Tiger Tales Literary Contest, which he has coordinated and judged for 15 years. Ed Spicer has also served on the Caldecott, Prince, and various other award committees of the American Library Association. Here's Rachel with Ed. We're visiting this morning with Ed. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, we are so excited to visit with you. You've had such a wide and broad experience with the field of children's literature and young adult literature. One of the things I do know that you do is that you do book reviewing, and that's a great way to help parents kind of expand their viewpoint on what kinds of things uh, are out there to read. So let's start out and talk a little bit about how you got involved with, with book reviewing. Now, that's an interesting story because when I was going back to get my teaching credential, we had to take children's literature. And children's literature at that time was anything from birth to 18. And I felt so bad for the people in my class that were planning to go into middle school or high school because our professor was very good with the very youngest end of the spectrum, but knew nothing about the older end, knew nothing about the tween and teen books that were out there. 
and I criticized this. I did it politely. I, you know, the person that was teaching the class, I told her first, but I also wrote it into my evaluation. And at that time, I was doing quite a lot of reading of young adult literature just because I hadn't read it when I was a kid. I wouldn't read anything unless you were a white author and had been dead for a hundred years. That was the mentality of my neighborhood where I grew up, and that's what I adopted. And so when I found this young adult literature and found all of these brilliant voices like Rita Williams Garcia and others, uh, I was hooked. And so I started reading voraciously. And when I would go to class, I would tell the professor, oh, you know, you forgot about these books. You know, these books are great. So what that led to was I was asked to teach the graduate young adult lit class. And I would always write up my reviews and turn them into their news and views, you know, sort of readers forum thing that they had. And uh, Liz Story said uh, she was in charge of that publication at the time, he told me, you need to put publish these in the Michigan Reading Journal. We don't have anything for young adults in that, ma- in that magazine, really, and especially not consistently. So I founded the Young Adult Book Review column for the Michigan Reading Journal, and doing that kind of reviewing, what I was looking for, especially looking for, were books by new voices that no one had ever heard of before. And I was looking for especially picture books that could be used in middle school and high school classes. And if you think of, you know, David uh, Weissner's um, books or somebody like that or black and white or books like that, you can see that there's a lot that a really great teacher in high school could do with something that is a picture book. Is what I find happening in my first grade world is that I get parents coming in and saying, oh, you know, my child is just too smart for picture books anymore. They're ready for chapter books. And that is so sad to me because pictures are the backbone of comprehension. And even those young students that are really great at decoding need experience with visual literacy and perhaps now more than ever before with changes in the job market and what's likely in the horizon for kindergarten students today and first grade students today. But uh, reviewing those kinds of books really got me into all sorts of new arenas, including even doing a presentation to the American Chemical Society on the value of producing scientists with visual literacy in elementary schools. So uh, that's some of the story. I love that story, and I couldn't agree with you more about visual literacy. I think that is so critical. So where do you think we have been, and where do you think we're going? Maybe what are some of the changes you've observed in this field over the years? May I answer this by starting out with some important information about what has not changed? Definitely. Well, a lot of people assume that the number of books by people of color has really grown in the last 20 years. And my friends at the Children's Cooperative Book Center in Madison, Wisconsin, would beg to differ. They've been tracking that for a long, long time. And unfortunately, 
the number of books by and about people of color has remained pretty static at around no more than 10%. And it's my hope that as we move into the future, that will definitely change. Now, when you go back 20 years, uh, that puts us in 1996, and you have to remember that that was about one year before Harry Potter. Uh, there was no Prince Award, no nonfiction award for young adults, and some of the other awards, graphic novel awards, were not there either. In 1996, interestingly enough, Christopher Paul Curtis made his debut with The Watsons Go to Birmingham, and Virginia, Virginia Hamilton published her stories. And there was all of this hope that suddenly we would begin to see more diversity in children's literature, and sadly, it hasn't happened. But what we have seen is a tremendous growth in graphic novels and books with very different kinds of formats and books that sort of explode our idea of what we mean when we say genre. Uh, we have much more social media entering into the literature today, and the quality of books, especially nonfiction books, has really taken off. And so there are lots of really wonderful things to look forward to as we move along. I really like that point you made, especially about the quality of nonfiction. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Maybe what are some of the ways that the quality of nonfiction has improved? Well, just in the, you know, paper quality, the print quality, um, the formatting, the care that goes into the art direction and layout. I'm looking here at a book, The Rain Wizard, which is a book, a wonderful book by Larry Dane Brimner. And, um, and it's done by um, Calkins Creek, you know, a smaller publisher, which I absolutely love. Uh, also, it's really interesting, nonfiction has those sort of hybrid books. There's a book by Nikki Grimes called Chasing Freedom, and it's the life journeys of Harriet Tubman and Susan B. Anthony, and it's very much inspired by historical events, but it's fiction. So what do you do with books like that? It's kind of like the magic school or magic um, um, school bus sort of um, controversy all over again. Those books that have a lot of nonfiction content, but aren't quite nonfiction, but just in looking at the, the format of, the, of something, say, like the Scientists in the Field series by Houghton Mifflin, uh, looking at the way that we approach writing nonfiction, Bomb by Scheinken, is an amazing book where we know the whole story of the atom bomb, but when he ends each chapter, it's a cliffhanger. You want to read more. You want to go on, even though you know what happened. And so nonfiction has had some really wonderful things happen to it uh, that just make me kind of, you know, quiver with excitement. I couldn't agree more. I think there's so many wonderful nonfictions out there that we can use in so many ways. And particularly as teachers, I think one of the exciting things about nonfiction is we have that opportunity to, to engage with them in the classroom. So how do you do that? What kind of nonfiction do you use in your classroom? I have... A regular nonfiction day and with you know I teach first grade so with six and seven year old students one of your goals is to get them to understand the distinction between fiction and nonfiction and so I have 
uh, we just read a book, um, Our Three Bears, and and then maybe on Thursday, my art day, we might read The Bear um, Ate Your Sandwich. So you can get that compare and contrast where you see very real bears presented accurately with either photographs or illustrations that move the reader into the into the text and contrast that with beautiful and again it could also be photographs for a nonfiction or for a fiction book. I'm thinking of something like um, you know, Hanny Penny that was done um years ago by uh the photographer whose name has suddenly gone out of my head, um, that uses all photographs. So it doesn't really matter how the the format of the book and how the book is put together. It's what's done with it in um, the publishing houses and with readers. And I always use nonfiction with my kids because if you think about it, six- and seven-year-old kids are probably more in tune with what they can see and what they can touch and what they can feel and what they know than they are in the once upon a time land that teachers are more attuned to. And so to some, to some extent, you use nonfiction to move them into fantasy and into um, fiction by starting with actually what you can see and touch and taste and smell and hear and all those kinds of things. Uh, we do regular um, book studies in which we look at a nonfiction topic on a certain subject and then contrast it with a fiction topic on that very same subject so that kids get the idea of what it means when we say nonfiction and what we mean when we say fiction. That's a really important distinction, I think, between the two and helping kids understand what the the differences are between the two and how they are how they're used differently, but also how they can be enjoyable at the same time. As we wind up our conversation today, why don't you tell us what your favorite picture book is? I know I hate that question too, but <laughs> that, that's my least favorite question to answer. But tell us about one of your very favorite picture books. Uh, the first one that I'm looking at is Drum Dream Girl by Margarita Engle and Rafael Lopez, which was the Bel Prey winner this year, and, and it also won the Zolotal Award. Uh, it is a book that has beautiful artwork. I can still picture my first grader coming up to me and showing me the end papers in that book years, a couple, when it first came out about a year ago, and saying, this is the most beautiful picture I've ever seen in my entire life. And this is, you know, a six-year-old telling me this. And then I had another first grader saying, and I like reading it because when you read it, it sounds like you're playing the drum. And, you know, those two first graders got everything that I absolutely adore about that book. Yeah, Drum Dream Girl is one of my all-time favorites. It is just lush and beautiful and gorgeous and definitely a must-read on my list as well. Mm-hmm. And I, and I like that it is a book that is by not the white male um, author and illustrator sort of combo that is just so prevalent in our world today. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I really do think it's important to once again go back to the idea that we need to step into other people's shoes so that this world becomes a little bit safer and a little bit more understandable. We fear what we do not know. 
And that's where I think books really have the capacity and the power to save us and to turn us into much better people. I couldn't agree more. I think that that really is one of the most important things that books and literature and a great diversity of literature, which we really do need, will will help us to be better people and to build a better world into the future. Me too. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ed. It's been a pleasure visiting with you today. I appreciate your insights and your experience in helping our listeners uh, broaden their own experiences. Well, thank you so much for having me anytime. You know my number. That was Rachel Wadham with educator and book reviewer Ed Spicer talking about introducing children to multiple genres to help them get interested in reading. Thanks for tuning in to Worlds Awaiting. Next up, a program offered in many libraries nationwide. It's called 1,000 Books Before Kindergarten. I had the opportunity to visit with educator and children's librarian Shauna Mundinger, who heads up this program at the Orem, Utah Public Library. Mundinger describes the success experienced by many children and parents in the program. Here's Shauna Mundinger. Now, Shauna, you're um, the associate librarian That's correct. in the Orem Public Library in the children's section, okay? Um, tell me a little bit about how you came to, how you came into the library or, or how you became a librarian or where did it start or what led you in this direction? Well. I always loved the library. When I was young, my older sister and I would go and have armloads of books, and the librarians would always say to us, you're really not going to read those all in a week. And we would come back and we would have them read. So I then went into education when I went to BYU and loved that and went on for a degree in special education because I was interested in teaching children who struggled how to read. Um, And then I was a teacher for 13 years. Um, I taught resource and I also taught fifth and sixth graders. And it's magical when you get a child who isn't a reader all of a sudden discovering a whole new world when they open a book. And I was single at that time and I thought, hmm, maybe I'll go and get a master's in library science. So I went and did that at BYU and taught part-time. And then, um, and then I went back actually into teaching and then um, got married and was able to have children and so I stopped and I, I got this job here as what we call a flexible librarian and that was wonderful because I could come and work while my husband was home with the children at night and so then it just blossomed and now my youngest is 11 and so I went back and became an elementary school librarian for three years and then I was fortunate enough when an opening came available for a full-time position to be hired in this position. That's wonderful. That's wonderful, Shauna. Can you uh, maybe share some instances of when you've seen a child kind of light up and find a book or suddenly finds or come across something that that gives them the desire to read. One was when I was a school librarian and I had a little first grader who said, I can't read Mrs. Mundinger. And I said, oh, Daisy, I think you can. And then I showed her the Elephant and Piggy series, which every parent of kindergartners needs to know about by Mo Willems. And she opened up that book and began to read. 
and she said, Miss Mendinger, I can read. I can read. And every week she would check out an elephant and piggy book. Um, so because I was an elementary school librarian, I had more interaction with the children. Now, when moving into this realm of public libraries, I have a lot of opportunities to work with the parents. And one of my greatest loves is the beginner and intermediate collection because all research shows that if children aren't really reading by the time they finish third grade, it's very difficult for them to, to move on, to get a great education. Um, and so I really like to emphasize those collections. And I have had parents come and say, that was just the right book. They love this series. They have read everyone in the series. And by the way, you need to get number 14 and 15. Those aren't in your collection yet. <laughs> So uh, so that way, yes, you know that you've made a difference when parents will come and say, that was just what my child needed who wasn't a reader. Now we can't get him to stop. Well, what a thrill for you, and then what a thrill for that parent. You're just both rejoicing together and helping that child. It's so wonderful. That's what we try to, to do, work together for the best of the children. Sounds great. Well, say, Shauna... I hear that you're over a program in the Orem Public Library in the children's section called A Thousand Books Before Kindergarten. Would you tell, tell us more about this program? <laughs> yes. It actually started as a grassroots movement in the Midwest, and then it caught on like wildfire, and now it's basically nationwide. And the premise behind it comes from a quote from Mem Fox, who's a wonderful children's author. And she says, children need to read a thousand books, be read to. And um, so that's what we do before a child starts kindergarten. We give them and their parents an opportunity to read a thousand books together. And there are small prizes along the way. But as I tell the parents when I explain the program to them, the real reason you do this is because all of the evidence that they've been able to find, the research with neuroscience, it is critical from the time the child is born till three that you are exposing your child to language. You're talking to them, you're reading to them, you're singing to them, you're playing with them, you're interacting with them, and you're forming a bond with your child. And so reading becomes a pleasurable thing to do for your child. And um, we've had great success. Parents are so excited about this program. One of my favorite things was when a little girl, her name is Annabelle, I know her, she's two, almost, almost two and a half, I think. And she came in with her binky in her mouth and waving the record sheet of 100 books, saying, 100 books, 100 books. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so excited and so we try it's a great opportunity for us as librarians to celebrate this with the parents and the children and we let the children ring the sacred bell you know that you put out and they have great fun ringing that and we clap for them and congratulate them and one of our favorite rewards is when the child has completed 500 books we ask the parent what was their favorite library book that they read. And the parent tells us, and then we find a copy of that book, 
and we put a nameplate in it. And it says, I've read 500 books. This one is my favorite. And that is there so they know that they have a part in our library collection, that they are important. And we are thrilled. We're just getting ready to celebrate the first little one finishing their 1,000 books. And at that point, they will get a certificate that is signed by the mayor and also by the children's librarian. They will also receive a book, and then we will have a photo opportunity for them and their parents. And we just are thrilled about the program. What does that do to a child? I mean, here you've got a book plate in here, and then here you hit a thousand, and you've got a picture with the mayor and all of the confetti. And well, you don't actually get the photo op with the mayor. You did get the certificate with the mayor, but um, you do. Um, they're excited, and most of our children, as I've been looking through this, the registration sheets, you know, they're little, like two, two. Some are as old as five, getting ready to start kindergarten next year. But they just, they are just so excited. And it's just a wonderful bonding experience, not only for the parent, but for us as librarians. That I had one person say to me, you know my child's name. And I said, well, of course I do. They're in the 1,000 Books program. And so it's, it's a great way to promote literacy to your patrons and to also tell the parents what a wonderful, magnificent job they're doing in teaching their children the skills and laying the foundation of becoming lifelong learners and readers. You're helping the parents and you're helping the children for, for lifelong, like you say. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Shauna, thank you so much. That's very inspiring. Um, another question. There will be people out there that would like to be involved who aren't in Utah. How would you suggest that they find this 1,000 books before kindergarten? How would they go about? I would contact their local library and ask if that program is available. And if not, would they consider sponsoring that program at their library? Excellent. Well, thank you. Excellent. That's, this sounds so exciting. Never knew there was such a program. But what great things for that little child that makes them love reading and they're proud of themselves. And then the parent and the child are bonding. and. And they're being prepared. Thank you so much. Oh, you're excellent, so excellent. That was Shauna Mundinger on Worlds Awaiting talking about a program that introduces young children to a lot of books. Once again, the name of that program is 1000 Books Before Kindergarten. Let's finish the show today with Steve Oliverson, principal of Provost Elementary in Provo, Utah, who talks about a childhood experience that made a certain book his favorite for life. Can you think of a book from your childhood that made a difference in your life? Um, yeah, one that comes to mind is Where the Red Fern Grows. And how did that make a difference for you? Uh, it made a difference for me because I was reading that in third grade. We were reading it as a class and we got towards the end and the teacher couldn't continue reading the book because she was too, uh, well she was crying too much. So she picked me out of the class to come up and finish the book. And she said I did a wonderful job and I was a great reader and that just really uh, motivated me to think that she thought I was a good enough reader to read to the class and finish that book. So 
That kind of started me off on a path of wanting to read more. That was Steve Oliverson, principal of Provost Elementary in Provo, Utah, talking about a book that influenced him in childhood and has been his favorite ever since. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.